four, three, two, one. They're both right, maybe. Do not flash yourself with such questions. You cannot fully understand the relations of choice and time until you are beyond both. And ye were brought here to study such curiosities. What concerns you is the nature of the choice itself, and that ye can watch them making. Well, sir, I said, that also needs explaining. What do they choose, these souls who go back? I have yet to seen, I have yet seen no others. And how can they choose it? Milton was right, said the teacher. The choice of every lost soul can be expressed in the words, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. There's always something they insist on keeping, even at the price of misery. There's always something they prefer to joy, that is, to reality. Ye see it as easily as enough in a spoiled child who would sooner miss its play and its supper than say it was sorry and be friends. Ye call it the sulks, but in, in adult life, it has hundreds of fine names. Achilles' wrath and Cornelius's grandeur. Revenge and injured merit and self-respect and tragic greatness and proper pride. That's the quote. That's from The Great Divorce. Um, C.S. Lewis. What is it, it saying? I just, I think in my life, um, I've noticed that there's that, you know, that Native American, like, parable or whatever, the ancient, like, Native American one where it's like you have a good wolf and a bad wolf and you're in your uh in your body and you choose to feed one of them constantly and i feel like in some ways there's like this selfish wolf where you're trying to you're constantly trying to like enforce your ego into every situation so like you can see that when say there's a group of people talking and they're all having a good conversation but somebody isn't really adding to the conversation that much uh and like wants to change the wants to change what's going on they want to change what the people are doing they want to get out of that circumstance because it's not fitting the box that they had imagined that time to be you know like people who are always trying to control the scenario control the situation control others around them and themselves Mm -hmm. and like i just feel like there's like these two great um what's the word like, like you really like there's two there's two types of like thinking and pondering. There's one in which you're you're constantly motivated to improve and and sustain the ego. And then the other one is just letting go um, existing in the chaos that is life. And that doesn't mean like not trying to like do things with your life or whatever. It just means like letting go of your perfect ideal in every scenario because life is full of situations where the ideal isn't met you know yeah so it's kind of like giving into whatever situation it is there is and then making the best of it instead of trying to control all the situations and all the all the parts of your life and so i just really like like the reason i read that quote particularly is just because of the it is better to serve. They they say it's better to uh, reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And it's like, damn. Like, I feel that sometimes in my life. I'll just put everybody else's problems and everybody else's things aside so that I can, like, devolve into my, like, uh, expedient habits and 
I noticed that it pretty much never brings me any 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 kind of like joy or real um like anything that's worth pursuing it's just not really there when I do that and my heart bled within me for you can only be free when even the desire of seeking freedom becomes a harness to you and when you seek and when you cease to speak of freedom as a goal and a fulfillment kind of applies to what you were talking about how Hmm. real freedoms obtained once you stop seeking freedom and that's from the uh, the prophet um he goes you shall be free indeed when your days are not without a care nor your nights without a want or a grief but rather when these things are girdles for your life and yet you rise above them naked and unbound so it's almost like and what book is that from a prophet. prophet yeah and it's he's saying that you know um it's not the desires in themselves that is going to obtain anything it's when you rise above those desires and you you rise above them naked which means you rise above them you know you have them but it's like shedding them like clothes right like they're there but at the end of the day it's not real you're you're just aware of them and even so much so much comes from just the the first level of like awareness like if you're having a conversation with somebody like let's say you're having a conversation with somebody and they you've noticed that they are drinking like say six days a week and you're you're you actually care about the person so you're like discussing whether that's something good for them or not and kind of like what that looks like and they just immediately say like no 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 I don't have a drinking habit I don't have a problem it's like so obvious that they're just not paying attention to the reality that you're seeing and like I I don't know I just feel like so much comes down to that simple like the simple utterance of iniquity the simple utterance that I I did something I I'm misbehaving in this way because then you're automatically aware of it it's like the same thing with when you understand that all of these different things that you're trying to pursue uh, like, like you're trying to pursue true freedom. You're trying to pursue all these things that once you kind of like take a step back and look at it and, and you're, you're not just constantly shifting from one pursuit to another, you kind of look at like the actual hat, like the actual, uh, the thought patterns, the thought loops, the, the, the different uh, yeah just that kind of stuff once you take a step back it's like it's just so enlightening just taking that first step toward um listen to this really anything and what is it but fragments of your own self you would discard uh that you may become free if it is an unjust law that you would abolish that law was written with your own hand upon your forehead you cannot erase it by burning your law books nor by washing the foreheads of your judges though you pour the sea upon them and if it, is a, if it is a despot you would dethrone, see first that his throne erected within you is destroyed. For how can a tyrant rule the free and the proud, but for a tyranny in their own freedom and shame in their own pride? And if it was care you would cast off, that cart has been chosen by you rather than imposed upon you. And if it is fear you would dispel, the, se- the seat of that fear is in your heart and not in the hand of the feared. That's some fucking deep shit, dude. Oh, yeah. Like where it talks about how like, oh, if it's a law that you're saying is um, he talks about it. He's like, and this is an old ass book. He goes, if it's a law that you're saying is 
um, what's it called? Oppressing you. Make sure, like, realize that you wrote that law on your own forehead, right? And then he goes on, you can't erase it by burning the law books, burning down the law, right? You can't erase these, this oppression that you, you feel by burning the law books or by trying to wash the foreheads on the judges, right? Even if you pour the sea on them. That means like, even if you try, you burn down all the buildings, all the structure that you, that is amounted to these laws and all of the, uh, and the judges, the, the people in charge, even if you go first and make sure you wash these laws off their forehead, meaning you make them change, it still won't do anything because you fucking put that shit on your own forehead. You are even saying you're oppressed. And then it goes on to say, if it is a despot, you would dethrone. If it's a tyrant, right, that's oppressing you. Realize that the throne in your heart or within you is destroyed first because the fact that you feel mm. oppressed by him means he has mounted inside of you, right? Mm. Um, and then it goes, how can a tyrant rule the free and the proud, right? Like how can a tyrant, how can somebody rule somebody who has nobody that can oppress them? And he goes, but for the tyranny in their own freedom and a shame in their own pride. So he's saying that, even, mm. a t- even in their own existence, like let's say they are free, to, free and proud. They don't realize that they, the freedom that they think they have and the pride that they think they're ha- they have is really just shame and tyranny that they're casting upon themselves. And he goes, mm. if it would, it's care. Like if you care about anything and you're trying to get rid of care because you caring about your family, your, your mom or your girlfriend, right? You're, if it's care you would cast off, re- realize that that's something you chose and not something that has been opposed upon you. Right. Mm. And then if it's fear, if you're scared, you know, scared of dying, if it's fear that you would dispel, mm. realize that the seed of that fear is in your heart and not in the hand of the ex- things. Realize that it's mm. not the external that's actually scaring you. It's your own internal decision to be scared of those things. Mm. Well, how about this? It goes, verily all things move within you within your being in constant half embrace the desired and the dreaded the repugnant and the cherished the pursued and that which you would escape these things move within you as lights and shadows and pairs that cling and when the shadow fades and is no more the light that lingers becomes a shadow to another light and thus your freedom when it loses its fetters becomes itself the fetter of greater freedom i have to read that last line again and when the shadow fades and is no more the light that lingers becomes a shadow to another light. Yeah. And thus your freedom, when it loses its fetters, becomes itself the fetter of a greater freedom. I'm having a hard time understanding that. But I feel the like... The fetter of your freedom itself kind of binds you from experiencing greater freedom, right? That's the what idea, he said. The attachment yeah. to this idea of freedom. Yeah, the attachment to the idea, right? That's interesting. Yeah, this I'm, he this dude, it's called the Prophet, and it's I've listened. It's a short ass book, dude. Who who wrote it? Um, what's it called? Was he a prophet? Uh, I mean, he talks like one. That's for sure. Um, about this book, the Prophet by Lebanese American poet Khalid Gibran is one of the world's most famous books, published in 1923. It has been translated into over a hundred languages. I mean, we could literally just go through this book. He talks about reason and passion, um, pain, 
He goes on, and it's just like it's like he just goes through on teaching. Then said the teacher, "Speak to us of teaching." And he said, "No man can reveal to you aught but that which already lies half asleep in the dawning of your knowledge." The teacher who <laughs> walks beautiful. in the shadow of the temple among his followers gives not of his wisdom, but rather of his face and his lovingness. If he is indeed wise, he does not bid you to enter the house of wisdom, but rather leads you to the threshold of your own mind. The astronomer may speak to you of his understanding of space, but he cannot give you his understanding. The musician may sing to you of the rhythm, which is in all space, but he cannot give you the ear which arrests the rhythm, nor the voice that echoes it. <laughs> and he who is versed in the science of Fuck. numbers can tell the regions of weight and measure, but he cannot conduct you thither. For the vision of one man lends its wings to another. And even as each of you stands alone in God's knowledge, so much each of you be alone in his knowledge of God and his understanding of the earth. Mm. That's intense. On friendship, on talking. Oh, how about this one? This one, this one's going to hit me and you, all right? <laughs> and then a scholar said, speak of talking. And he answered saying, you talk when you cease to be at peace with your thoughts. And when you can no longer dwell in, dwell in the solitude of your heart, you live in your lips and sound is a diversion in a pastime. And in much of your talking, thinking is half murdered. For thought is a bird of space that is, that is in a cage of words, may indeed unfold its wings, but cannot fly. There are those among you who seek the talkative through fear of being alone. The silence of aloneness reveals to their eyes their naked selves and that they would escape. And there are those who talk without knowledge or forethought, reveal a truth which they themselves do not understand. And there are those who have the truth within them, but they tell it not in words. In the bosom of such of these, the spirit dwells in rhythmic silence. When you meet your friend on the roadside or in a marketplace, let the spirit in you move your lips and direct your tongue. Let the voice within your voice speak to the ears of his ear. For his soul will keep the truth of your heart as the taste of wine is remembered. When the color is forgotten, the vessel is no more. Wow. On time. Wow. On time. I don't know how, I don't, I honestly, like, I feel like if I was just sitting down and reading that book, I could probably read it for like 45 seconds before my <laughs> brain would just explode. All right. How about this? This one's deep. And this goes into kind of like C.S. Lewis and he talks about time. And an astronomer said, master, what of time? And he answered, you would measure time, the measureless and the immeasurable. You would adjust your conduct and even direct the course of your spirit according to hours and seasons. Of time, you would make a stream upon whose bank you would sit and watch its flowing. Yet the timeless in you is aware of life's timelessness and knows that yesterday is but today's memory and tomorrow is today's dream. And that, and that which sings and contemplates in you is dwelling within the bounds of that first moment which scattered the stars into space. Who among you does not feel this power, that his power to love is boundless? And yet who does not feel that very love, though boundless, encompassed within the center of his being and moving not from love thought to other love thought, nor from love deeds to other love deeds? And is it not time, even as love is, undivided and spaceless? But if in your thought you must measure time into seasons, let each season encircle all other seasons. And let today embrace the path with remembrance and the future with longing. Ooh. Huh, that's that's interesting because that's uh that's a little I've probably brought up this C.S. Lewis on the uh 
the the human interaction with with time i've probably brought up his quote like a hundred times but he's talking about how you know the the future and the past are locked so don't focus on them exist in the present because it's uh, lit up with eternal rays yeah but that's a little bit different it's like allow yourself to long for the future and allow yourself to um embrace the past embrace the past which is kind of cool it's almost like a ritualistic way of thinking of the past but he's saying let each season encircle all other seasons and that that in the sense is saying that if you are in a moment if you're in a season realize that that season that present is again just the future and past so like each thing is encompassing each other thing and time is an illusion it's measureless and immeasurable it's a contradiction right and um, and that love and time are both boundless, but you're capable of expressing both. And you know both because they're, they're within you. It says, and that which sings and contemplates in you is still dwelling within the bounds of the first moment, which scattered the stars into space. You know, like there's, he's talking about the spirit in us that is a part of this timeless, boundless, immeasurable aspect of the universe that exists within us is what brings out us to sing and contemplate and enjoy reality, right? And that, but but understand that even though he wants you to embrace the, the past and long for the future, realize that each season encompasses every other season, which is interesting. How about this one on good and evil? This is where it gets deep. This one, and this one will piss some people off. I remember reading this one. And one of the elders of the city said, speak to us of good and evil. And he answered, of the good in you, I can speak, but not of the evil. For what is evil, but tortured by its own, what is evil, but good, tortured by its own hunger and thirst. Verily, when good is hungry, it seeks food even in dark caves. And when it thirsts, it drinks even of dead waters. You are good when you are one with yourself. Yet when you are not one with yourself, you are not evil. For a divided house is not a den of thieves. It is only a divided house. And a ship without a rudder may wander aimlessly among the perilous isles, yet not sink to the bottom. You are good when you strive to give of yourself. Yet you are not evil when you seek gain for yourself. For when you strive for gain, you are but a root that clings to the earth and sucks at her breast. For when you strive for gain, you are, oh, surely the fruit cannot say to the root, be like me, ripe and full and ever giving of your abundance. For to the fruit giving is a need, as receiving is a need to the root. You are good when you fully awake in your speech. Yet you are not evil when you sleep while your tongue staggers without purpose. That's interesting. That's interesting because he was talking about talking earlier, but he says you are good when you're fully awake in your speech. And that kind of goes into what Jordan Peterson talks about. Like you're sharp, you know, like don't say anything worthless, but he says, yet you are not bad when you sleep while your tongue staggers without purpose, which means you're ignorant and you're just talking. He's saying you're not evil. And even stumbling speech may strengthen a wink tongue. Interesting. That's interesting because he talks about 
He goes, you're good when you're, you are good when you strive to give up yourself, yet you are not evil when you seek to gain for yourself. And I think that's a big contradiction because most people see gain for oneself as an evil thing, right? Yeah, um, like the people uh, protesting in front of Jeff Bezos's house, didn't they? Like, they like put up a guillotine in front of Jeff Bezos's oh, house. Bro, this shit's getting crazy. Um, I know. It's we're not going to talk about dude. it. But we're it's not going to talk about right it. Um, he says, "For when you, you talk st- about whatever the fuck." No, dude. he says, "For when you strive for gain, you are but a root that clings to the earth. Surely the fruit cannot stay to the root. Be like me." For the to the fruit giving is a need, and as a receiving is a need to the root. So seeking needs is not evil. You are good when you walk to your goal firmly and with bold steps. You are not evil when you go thither limping. Even those who limp go not backwards. But you who are strong and swift see that you do not limp before the lame, deeming it kindness. Ooh, that's deep. But yeah. those of you who are strong and swift, see that, that you do not limp before the lame. And that goes totally opposite to what culture is saying. Like, that oh, is yeah. so opposite to what oh, yeah. we are currently in, where empathy. And if you have your responsibilities to give to others, because, you know, like that. Uh, deeming it kindness, saying that, oh, if I slow down because this other person can't go fast enough, I'm kind. He's literally saying, no, you're not kind. You're not good by doing that. Well, yeah, I feel like the really, the the really kind of, kind of like the person who put all of this into the best words it could have possibly been put into, it was uh, Jordan Peterson. When he talks about like people who people who like see somebody dwelling in the den of like misery, like in their behaviors and their choices, people who are, you know, wanderers, uh, you know, and don't have an aim, don't have a goal, don't have a purpose. And people try to like people who are up higher up in the sense that they actually have a, a line of thought running through their life and they can, they have goals and they have aims and they have things they're actually achieving and doing Yeah, come down to the level of the wandering person. Like it's, it's not, it's not, he, not yeah, his good. criticism is so, it's so detailed. Like it's so detailed, his criticism on that, on that, that topic, the idea that that behavior is like the, the, like right now in culture, that's thought of as like the most virtuous thing you can do. Yes. It's like is like bend over backwards and take it up the ass for a couple of years from poor people because somehow you interjecting some wealth or you interjecting whatever it might be into their lives is like like no it's like if you I feel like the people who actually are helpful to the people in those wandering circumstances are the people who just live their lives. And they let their lives be an example to the people below them. So like if you know somebody and you're friends with them and you guys grow up together and then that person goes and they become like a successful, like well put together, disciplined adult and you become like a wanderer, just the fact that you know of them and you know what they're doing in their life automatically is like more impactful because you look at yourself and you're really forced to confront yourself. Like that's way more impactful than somebody just trying to like 
set up the next few steps for you, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like it's like teach a man to fish. Don't don't uh don't you fish. know give him some fish. Yeah. There's there's also a reality that when somebody modern kids, right? Because mostly it's kids who have this. Millennials, younger kids, younger people. Um, You're such an old fuck. Well, I'm I'm part of the generation. I just don't hold the mindset. But it is it's primarily younger kids who have this mindset that if somebody's suffering, you take it on as a hobby, right? Like you say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to put their oppression or their burden on my back because I have no burden. And there's a there's a human there's an evil human spirit or an evil aspect of human that loves, wants suffering. They want to be a martyr. They want to be a victim. There's power. There's, uh, there's a moral superiority that's gamed through victimhood. Oh, yeah. Like, like even look at Christ, you know? Like, I mean, the archetypal perfect human was literally a victim. Crucified. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and he had Braveheart. the... Braveheart. What's that dude's name? Uh, something Wallace. Yeah, well, William, William Wallace. Wallace. William Wallace. Yeah. And there's something powerful in that because you gain a superiority over most people. Yeah, it's like your life, your legacy. You're like, hey, this is – it's like you're it's a like you're truly pointing out that your legacy is what was important to you. Yes. Yeah. And like, and like it's not all about just like survival and stretching this thing out. It's, it's, it's literally all about proving the point you're trying to prove. That's what is, martyrdom is. is that if it's not your actual burden, right – if you're taking it on because you yourself so but that's have... i feel like that's kind of the central sorry to cut you off that that's yeah, like okay. the central like mode of jesus you know yeah but... it's like the central the central thing he was kind of trying to get out to people other than everyone has a spark of the divine and uh a lifestyle kind of like a a philosophy generally broaching how to uh ignite that spark within everybody but like second to that is he he took on the shoulder he took on the burdens of literally everybody you know that's the idea but, anyway. and, and he talks about it right here and i think this is the difference is that jesus jesus did what we were talking with the the prophet talked about earlier about how um what was it where he goes, you are good in countless ways, and you are not evil when you are not good. You are only loitering and sluggard. Pity that the stags cannot teach swiftness to the turtles. I don't think that Jesus ever tried to teach swiftness and ever tried to force others to get to where he was, right? And he goes, it goes on to say, but... Uh, no, yeah. But let not... I mean, he did say, much. like, give up your lives and follow me. But, yes, but he says, for truly the good do not ask the naked, where is your garment? Nor the houseless, what has befallen your house? So what he's saying is that those who are really helping don't recognize the victimhood. Even Jesus, he told the lame man, why are you laying down? Stand up. And the dude's like, I can't. And Jesus is like, you can do it before me. And the guy stood up. Jesus didn't recognize the victimhood. He recognized them as the powerful people they were. There's a difference between that and trying to actually absorb the victimhood of other people. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I definitely. am a lame man. Victim vampires. That's what we should call it. That's a good name. But it's like, victim vampires. But like, seriously, think about it. It's Jesus was, you can do it. 
I'm going to spit on your eyes and you're going to see. I'm going to take the nastiest thing I can do and spit on you and you're going to see from that because you can see. I'm not going to I'm not going to let you be a victim. He spat on him. Right? Like that is an insult. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know? Rise, stand up and walk. He he told a dead man, "Walk out of the cave." He didn't even recognize death. You know? He and that was the power of Jesus was that he took on their burdens by not recognizing them. He abolished the burdens. He didn't absorb the burdens. The people in modern culture are absorbing the victim uh, or the oppression of others in any, in any angle, in any direction. And they think that they themselves are now part of that moral victimhood. They have that moral superiority because they are defending somebody who's oppressed. And now they themselves are oppressed because they categorize themselves in that in that cat in that in that group but that's that's the opposite like you can't teach swiftness to the turtles you can't you can't make somebody who's oppressed not oppressed by by asking them where is your clothes you know by asking them what happened yeah. to your house that's or like those uh those those old youtube pranksters who like to like make videos of them like getting a getting a fucking homeless man a makeover and he like still kind of looks like a drug addict on the way out but like he looks like he he's a functioning drug addict a little bit and then they're like yeah look at what we did for all these people meanwhile they that video generates like who knows how much capital for them and they literally just got the guy like a haircut and threw a suit on him yeah it's that's bullshit and that's that's uh, virtue signaling it's very obvious bullshit too to yeah. pretty much anybody who isn't a kid, and that's why like pretty much everybody watches and it's those so videos. Toxic because children. they're not actually doing anything. They're not no, actually no, doing no. anything, and and that's the yeah. thing is they think they're helping. And this goes into it: if you give a drug addict who's on the side of the road begging money, money, you're not helping him because he's just gonna go. Yeah, you yeah. feel good. He's just gonna go buy drugs. You feel yeah. good because you think, oh, I gave some of my shit to this dude, right? I right. I have. I have accepted his burden. You know, I have given him. And my- I mean, even like there's an argument there, even with like giving like a homeless dude, like a sandwich or something like yeah, that. Like, it's like, I mean, it's different, but I mean, he can't like, he can't make a bad decision with the sandwich, but it's like, he could also, is it really, is it really worse for him to go on in his, you know, Mystery his fentanyl addled miserable hellish landscape that he that he lives every day than for him to just fucking die i mean i know that's like super dark but like at that point like everybody i mean yeah okay no i hear you literally the the entire western civilization the things that we understand and know to be our societal values are all constructed on the idea that everybody has a spark of the divine in them yes and so it's like life is to be preserved and life life is to be cherished which is like good but i don't know i mean just being in like the the hell like the states of hell i've been in which aren't even close to something like that i i just like sometimes i wonder about the value of life like lately i've really been getting more into that in kind of a not a great way cuz it's not like i'm like suicidal or anything but Sometimes I feel very like I just detached die. from. I don't want to be alone. What? Yeah, yeah, great, awesome. <laughs> um, 
All lately, right. lately, I've just felt super detached from that. Okay, yeah, switch up the topic, man. Hey. No, I'm, I'm listening too, to you. Bro. I'm listening to you. Hey, love you too. He goes, all right, all right, all right. No, I thought I thought you were finished. So keep going. No, I was uh, I was just saying, like, I don't know. I, I t- to a certain point, I had always been totally kind of like convinced that to live is better to do di- to do than to die. Rather, death is a punishment. Um, Life is the the reward. Yeah, death is a. I don't know. It's like a. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a unwanted punishment. I see it as the opposite. I see it as I think death is the reward and life is the punishment. Life is the trial. People have this idea, and because death is unknowable, and this is why it's such a spiritual. This is why people who aren't spiritual don't will never be able to see this, because death to them is the end of materialism. Death is the end of materialism. There's no more gain after death, at least as as we understand it in this in this dimension and so when you die you cannot gain anymore and not gaining is the same as losing and in our mind humans minds and so if you are not gaining you are losing and if you're losing that's a punishment you know it's a negative thing but spirituality understands that we came from somewhere we came from an infinite place our soul is infinite and we house everything that has ever existed within this essence inside of us and when we die, you can't, you can't actually lose anything. You can't actually lose anything. It's impossible. Your, your soul uh, retains every experience, every thought, every feeling, right? It retains it. And your soul is what you are. You, you, you are not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. There's a, there's right. a big difference. And so most people, if you don't see it that way, when you die – it's a punishment and life is the reward gaining. Oh, I can keep gaining. Right. Oh, no. Grandma died. She can't gain anymore. You know, that's so sad. And it's like, yeah, but grandma has lived a long time on this earth where the literal physics, the structural integrity of existence is built upon the idea that things will continuously fall apart unless an external yeah. force on them. Right. You are going to fall apart. Life itself is disease. Entropy. And, and there's there's a balance because this can also be taken to the extreme and be a very evil idea where serial killers have these kind of concepts where life is a disease and it's my job to get rid of people, right? It's my job to take away their life, you know? And the line between this and they, and this goes into all real deep spiritual understanding is that the line between heaven and hell is not a wide chasm, but the length of a hair, you know? Like the line between heaven and hell is thin, it's not, it's not a huge distinction. And also the line between lies and truth are the same, are the same. It's, it's, it's all very sneaky. It's, right? you, yeah. you can, you know, uh, the, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's, I mean, like there's a million quotes when you, when you watch the way evil unfolds it unfolds because of, you know, 70 or so very minor decisions being made in a row that are kind of like i'm just gonna it's just gonna like do this one thing real quick and then you do that one thing real quick it's like a little thing doesn't seem like a big deal at all at the time but you you manipulate your conscience to a certain point where 
you you don't see the big evil decision when it actually happens. Yeah. So every single one of those micro decisions could be like not evil in nature. It could be bad, but it could have some kind of scent of the road to misfortune. And you do those things and then you, 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 your compass gets shifted a little bit every single time. And then eventually you're, you're existing in hell. It's crazy. Yeah. Here, the, the prophet talks about death. And then Almitra spoke saying, we would ask now of death. And he said, you would know the secret of death, but how shall it find, how shall you find it unless you seek it in the heart of life? The owls whose night-bound eyes are blind unto the day cannot unveil the mystery of light. If you would indeed behold the spirit of death, open your heart wide unto the body of life. For life and death are one, even as the river and sea are one. In the depths of your hope and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of spring. Trust the dreams, for in them is hidden the gate to eternity. Your fear of death is the trembling of the shepherd when he stands before the kings, whose hand is to be laid upon him in honor. Is the shepherd not joyful beneath his trembling, that he shall wear the mark of the king? Yet he is it. Yet is he not more mindful of his trembling? Now think about this, what he's saying. He's saying, in the depths of your hopes and desires lies your solid, silent knowledge of the beyond, which is deep. And then he says, Un and like seeds dreaming beneath the so, so your heart dreams of spring. So what he's saying is that there is a secret longing we have for death. And, it's, and while we fear death, beneath that fear is the desire to die. The, the understanding that it is the actual reward. And he says, is it not like the shepherd who is before the king, who is trembling before the hand, the king puts his hand on him in honor, even though he is excited to have that hand posed on him, like he's excited, right? He's happy. This is happening. Is he not more? And so there's a, that's a really deep and goes in almost exactly into what we were talking about. How badass. Yeah. Like how, there's there is a fear people have for death you're losing right but beneath that fear there is a deeper lust for it because we know that yeah he says in the depths of your hope and your desires i don't like the word lust makes it sound all icky <laughs> in the depths of your hopes and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond which means that everybody within their hopes and their dreams and their love that is in itself the expression of the knowledge of the next of the beyond, right? Where we are, we're going. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of spring. Hmm. And what is it to cease breathing, but to be free the breath from its restless tides, that it may rise and expand and seek God unencumbered? Only when you drink of the river of silence shall you indeed sing. And when you have reached the mountaintop, shall you begin to, to climb. And when the earth shall claim your limbs, then they shall truly dance. Damn. What is it to cease breathing, but to free the breath from its restless tides? Think about that. That is so interesting. What is it to not breathe? What is it to stop breathing? It's so funny. You don't smoke weed anymore, but sometimes you just seem like a stoner. You still have like, you still have some of the like stoner thoughts. Like, just, Bro, those are just my thoughts. Wait. Just think about that for a second. Because because I was like that before I smoked weed, and smoked weed just made it ten times worse. 
And I was, when I smoked, when I smoked, dude, I would go to places that, listen, I'm telling you right now, and this might be egotistical, weed hit me different than most people. It just did. Yeah. And I don't, I, no, I, I've seen people who get hit like really hard. But by it's like, I think since my mind was already pretty open that when I smoked weed, it like just went away. And I think that's also probably why I can't smoke weed anymore is because if I'm trying to stay attached to reality, like at this point in my life where, um, where I need to be attached to the reality, right. It's my, it's time to take my, to make my stance on reality, right. There's a time and place for everything. And when I grew up, my mind was open, right. And I saw the, the boundaries of existence and I saw the lines, the lines of what is real and what's not real. However, once I turned a certain age and it's like, okay, you, you still are existing, right? There's still the spirit of our time that needs to be respected with inside of you. It's not, you, you, you see that you, most people don't ever see the spirit of the depths and I have, right? But now the spirit of the time is calling me. And so when I would get high and those lines between reality would totally break for me. One, the spirit of the time. Do you have like full on like, hallucinations um when you would get like bodily hallucinations i wouldn't see like little mushroom men walking around but i would see reality moving like um i've done lsd i've done mushrooms right so i know what it's like to really like hallucinate but then it's not like that and i even do it now when i'm sober it even happens when i'm sober now where you can see you you can see behind your eyes and you see how you're like, even right now, the depth in front of you, right, is actually just a flat wall. And it's hard to really comprehend that. But in most people, you can't see it with your brain. And wait, you- what, do you, what did you say? The, the what behind you is, is a wall? So even the depths you see, right, how you stick your hand out and it goes forward, right? Or that, that thing in front of you is far away, right? It's actually a flat wall. It's an illusion, right? And being able to step back and see the wall beyond, like it's seeing beyond the third dimension because the third dimension is what's real until you see past that, until you step back and see that it's actually flat. And this is entire. So you've like visualized this? Like you've actually seen that? Yeah, that's what brings the panic attacks because I think I'm dying. And that, that's what it is. I don't really even know how to explain sometimes, it. Sometimes when you smoke weed, that, that is like... Oh, it go, it, I can't smoke weed. It's worse. I can't smoke weed because it happens. Like I, and, it's, and it also is I'm, I'm disattaching from my body, right? I've talked to you about that too. I'm disattaching from my body because if you step back from this third dimensional plane, right? And you see it as flat, you realize that you're also not in your body. You're somewhere else. And that's terrifying, Right. Especially if you're not expecting it, which I wasn't when it first happened, when you when you walk backwards from your body. Or to the side of your body. And it's disassociation. It's a psychological issue. A lot of people have had it. Right. Uh, People just cast it off as a mental illness. But there's something in our brains like there's stories of people who will be driving or be sitting in their room and their body will just go to the ceiling. And they'll be like, I could, oh, I, yeah. And they said it, it lasted like they also, there's tons of cases. It's a literal clinical 
mental problem. We don't know how to diagnose it. So people just take meds, right? Uh, psychotic meds, which just calms you down, right? It just numbs What's your that? your mind, which is horrible. Um, but it's, it, we don't know how to describe it. We don't know why it happens. But people are like, literally, I floated away from my body. I floated to the ceiling and I could, I just watched myself for three hours, right? And yeah. I was driving a car and I was looking at myself outside the car. And and they're like, I, I didn't know what to do. Like the panic, right? But that, that to me, because have you ever heard of astral projection? Or uh, um, I've heard the term. I don't really know what it means. So, so what it is is that there's an idea that you have a spirit body and it exists in all parallel dimensions simultaneously because there's an infinite number of dimensions very similar to ours happening right now, right? That, that represent every single possible aspect or possibility, possible choice in existence that you could have made right, right. now. So there's a there's a reality happening simultaneously where me and you, now fuck you, I'm never talking to you again. We never talk to you again, right? We're not in that reality. And it's probably not as strong as this reality. That's why we're experiencing this reality. That's why our spirit body is is anchored to this one. Because this reality we're in is the most stable. It's the most truthful. It's the closest path to God. Kind of like how lightning goes through the least uh, path of resistance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Our spirit is going to travel the least path of resistance to get to God. So your spirit, while it exists in all of simultaneous universes at once, it's going to travel the universe, the reality that is closest to the truth that you need to follow. And there's also an aspect of that that shows um, there's no choice you can make that's wrong because every single choice that you could make is being made, but this is the one you're at. So there is no wrong choice. This is the one you're at. This is the one you're going for. Now, your consciousness, I might not be talking to the Joel's consciousness that your spirit is actually in. And so this is this is where it gets, kind of gets creepy. And you right now might not be talking to the actual Andrew where the my spirit is actually in this reality, right? This might, for me, like to you, the version of Andrew you're talking to could be the not the least path of resistance, right? And the Joel I'm talking to could not be the least path. So you're less real than maybe some other version of Joel. But if you're experiencing this, then you are this, right? And that's kind of hard. It's hard to uh, describe without trying signing, sounding super psych psychotic. But it is interesting. It's an interesting thought. But there's this idea of a spirit body that exists in all dimensions. And when you go into your dream, that's where, your, that's where your spirit body exists because it's the part of your consciousness or your soul that is not attached to your body. So it's capable of traveling through planes of existence. And so when you're dreaming and you're experiencing a reality, what you're experiencing is your spirit, your spirit body existing in another reality, right? But your, your body, the fact that you're attached to your body does not allow you to have full cognitive control or feeling of the spirit body without years of practice but what lucid dreaming is is when you gain control conscious control of your spirit body and you're capable of actually traveling these these planes lucidly and there's even stories i mean the government has a program um it's declassified it's literally happened where they train people to astral project because there was a group in early the or uh, 19 1900s at some point late 1900s that could go into a meditative state and they could go anywhere around the world and could tell you exactly what was there. And 
without actually leaving. They would look like they just went to sleep or meditated, right? But they could, they could disattach their spirit body and allow it to fly around. Do you know the name of that CIA project? Uh, let's look it up. Um, military. Wish I had a laptop. Astral projection. Let's see what it's called. CIA Stargate Project. Stargate Project was the, the 1991 code name for a secret U.S. Army unit established for the defensive military intelligence. The projects originally went by various code names, Gondola Wish, Grill Flames, Center Lane, Sunstreak, Scan It. Until 1991, they were rechristened as the Stargate Project. The Stargate Project work primarily involves remote viewing, the purported ability to cyclically see events, sites, or information from a great distance. The project was overseen until 1987. Uh, the Stargate Project was terminated and declassified at 1991 after a CIA reporter concluded that it was never useful in any intelligence operation. Information provided by the program was vague and included irrelevant and erroneous data. There was reason to suspect that its project managers had changed the report so they would fit background cues. So even if it works, we wouldn't know, obviously. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a case that actually, oh, no, they said it didn't work, right? So, but my well, thing mean, is that they yeah, spent so much money on it for decades. I doubt that it was in, it came up inconclusive. I mean, it was literally. Well, what were you going to talk about in, in reference to this? Oh, about about you, something. well, you can go, your astral body is the one is, is the, your soul, right? It's your manifested soul. And, right. and it's connected to all um, manifestations of you and all planes of existence. And so, right. but when you go to dream, you can access this and you can do it lucidly. And there's ways to induce lucid dreaming. And honestly, you should try it. You'd have to give up drugs though, because stuff like weed, alcohol, nicotine, stuff like that completely destroys your ability to do it. Um, but it is real. And uh, I've, I sleep paralysis is a version of it. It's where you are connected to it, but you're not in control of it. And you remember some of the scary ass sleep paralysis stories I've told you, right? Yeah, with the cat what, pacing around you yeah. while you were meditating yeah. on the floor, yeah. like some weird. And, and I was being carried, fucking... but there was a there was also a part of it where I was being carried through a hospital on a stretcher or something that seemed like a hospital, and there's these things standing over me carrying me. And I would phase in between that where I was literally moving. I could feel myself moving and also the cat walking around me where I was laying on the ground, unable to move. And then I would try to sit up. And the second I stood up, set up, like force myself to sit up, I would fall back down. and The whole thing would start all over again. And it happened. I remember thinking I want to die, right? Because it happened an infinite amount of times. But once you wake up, it's over. It's like pain. Pain lasts an infinite amount of time. But once it's over, you don't remember how long it actually lasted. Shit, yeah. Um, so, but the idea is, is that, I don't know really where I was going with this, um, but you can access that spirit, that, you know, that uh, spiritual body through. Uh, so, but what I'm saying is, is that those people who are, um, this is what it was. Those people are going through that psychosis episode where they're disattaching from their body could just be experiencing their spirit body, right? They're just, their consciousness is moving into the spirit body for whatever reason. Mm. And their spirit body is obviously not in their real body. So it's usually floating around you. And if you go into lucid dreaming, people always say that what ends up usually happening is you start floating first until you gain control. Like 
Um, and then what happens is if that, if you look at your body, there's a silver cord, like an umbilical cord that connects you, your spirit body to your actual body. And, um, I was reading one post about how a person like could not believe it was real. It just happened. It was the other day. And he was like, I can't believe this is real. I was a huge skeptic, but I was curious, right? Like he was like, I'm trying the scientific method and it actually happened. And he said, what happened was he was laying in bed until he started to like, and he's trying you're because you the idea is to maintain awareness as you fall asleep. And what this allows you to do is this allows you to access your spirit body. Um, and you, what he did was he said he rolled over and he like rolled over and then he fell out of his body. Right. And he stood up on his floor in his room and he looked down and he saw himself sleeping. And at first he got terrified. He's like, at first I started panicking and I'm like, I want this to end. I want this to end. I was scared. He's like, how am I going to get back into my body? What have I done? Kind of thing. Like, did I just put myself in a coma kind of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I mean, that would be scary if that actually happened. And he said, he looked around on his room and he's like, as he gained kind of like calmed down, he was like, okay, this is cool. And he said his room looked normal, except um, there was some post-it notes on his wall that, that weren't there in reality. Um, and then he said that he tried to go to the door and he's like, I wonder if I could phase through this door. And he put his hand, because that's a big thing, is that you can just go through objects, right? You're, you're essentially a ghost. You can just go through objects. You can just phase through objects. He's like, he touched it at first and it was solid. But then he like pushed harder and his arm went through it. And he said, that's when I'm like, I want to wake up. He said he got terrified. He's like, I want to wake up. I want to wake up. And the second he thought that he woke up in his real body. And he's like, it could have been a dream. But so, a real. so what connection do you think this has to do with anything like important in this reality? So it's like if you can tap into some kind of universal freedom spirit body in which you're your mobility is that's where your guides are like that's where your spirit guides are i mean there's things that have been around you if you it depends on how materialistic you want to be because obviously i I can go off the wall hippy dippy spiritual nonsense right but there is an idea that there are entities in existence that are assigned to your soul and they're all around you at all times but they're all around all of you at all times all manifestations of you right but when you go into your spirit body, you're capable of actually communicating with them. And so let's say you have an evil spirit attached to you, right? If you go into your spirit body, you will come across that evil spirit. It will be manifested because you're now in, the, you're now in a spiritual plane of existence where angels and demons exist, where lower entities and higher entities are using you or are looking out for you or trying to use you to, to move up, right? Um, so... The importance is, is that for one, if you can achieve that, if you can do it, I've never, I would say I've never lucid dreamed, but I've definitely been outside of my body before. Um, If you can do that, there's a solidity that is gained in your mind that, oh shit, this is all real, right? And then another thing is that if you can talk to these things, um, though there are some scary stories from lucid dreaming about how there's one about how like a demon came and like raped this woman when she started lucid dreaming. And it was like this goat thing. And because it's not, but not raping in the sense like sexual, it is sexual because sexual energy is the most primal energy. So it is the, it is the lowest form of energy that we're capable of manifesting. And so it was sexual, but it wasn't like penis vagina sexual. 
It was a, it was a parasitic sexuality. And so when she describes this experience, it was this goat like demon that was raping her, but she, he, he was doing it psychically. Right. So he was, he was doing the same thing, like a physical rape. He was like pulling out her sexual energy and like, yes. taking it for yeah. Himself. But, yeah. but in real life, when somebody's raped, they feel used. Right. You ever hear that? I feel used. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. The, and it's the same imagery. And while the, the, the actual act will manifest differently in humans because we have actual sexual organs, an energetic sexual rape would be more of just the energy. And she said it was painful. Yeah, good luck. Hey, bro, good luck tagging this podcast up, my guy. <laughs> sexual, <laughs> sexual, <ghost> energetic <laughs> sexual <laughs> cyborg rape. At fucking 57 minutes. <laughs> but that's what makes our podcast so good, dude. Dude, our podcast is not so good yet. I think about? I think we talk about some funny ass shit. Some very yeah. interesting shit. But but I love it. I love recording it. I just feel like for anybody who like didn't know us, didn't give a fuck about us, was looking for something entertaining to listen to. Maybe it'd be entertaining. I don't know. But the idea is also that going back to mine is that there is an aspect that I am disattaching. Right. And so I'm, I'm in this battle right now where I'm trying to stay engaged with the understanding that it's, that I could just see beyond it if I wanted to, if I needed to, but then I would be crazy. Why do you think, why do you think that's not something like, Okay, I just watched The Lord of the Rings, and I know the book is way better than the movie. Movies are good, too. Yeah, the movies are still enjoyable. Yeah, they're, they're very still good. good. Yeah. Anyway, Gandalf talks about, like, uh, you know when Pippin talks, like, the, the what is that place called? Minas Tirith is, like, overrun by orcs, and they're, like, on their last defense. And Pippin looks at Gandalf, and he's like, he's like, I don't want to die, or something like that. And Gandalf's like... Oh, death is just another path, one that we we all must take. And then he explains, like, this scene after death. And I feel like if you heard the same thing from almost anybody here, you would think they're either, you know, like a fundamentalist, religious fanatic, or, you know, they're actually, like, psychotic or, like, they have psychosis breaks all the time. Um, but, at this, like, at the same time, like... I feel like the 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 per, the real spiritual being, the real prophets that have come and passed, have been people who are attached to some great like thing that none like other people aren't attached to, right? But they're attached to some kind of energy that's out there, whether it be a a, a philosophical idea that's actually manifested in some like real possession, like some possessive way over the person or, or whatever it is, but like, they're the people who incorporate that into like the normal day-to-day life. Like those are the people like, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. The quote is, so maybe, maybe like what I would say to you is like, I don't know, man, 21st century reality is so fucking I think it's just crazy. And I'm not talking about like everything that's going on in the world or like whatever. I'm just talking about like, it's, it's really, there's so many, there's so many things you can, you can be like paranoid about 
I'm not paranoid. Just happening or whatever. I know you're not. Mentally, I don't care. It seems like you might be paranoid in the sense that you're trying to avoid these lapses from reality. No, no. My body is resisting it because it's a new experience. Sure. Just like playing, going out for on the football field for the first time made me nervous, right? Because I wasn't Aww. expecting it to happen. Aww. Yeah, well, I mean, I was 12 years old playing varsity football, you know. But a- anyways, it's <laughs> – No, you were Hey, hey, don't worry about it. Um, But the other thing is like there is, an, there is an aspect that – and I've told you this before, that it's not my mind. It's my body. My body is scared. And, and your body has as much of a brain as your mind does, right? They're both communicating. They're, they're separate entities, but they work together, right? And so my mind accepts it because mentally I know, okay, I believe in spirituality. I believe in God. I believe in all this shit I'm talking about. But physically, I've never experienced that. So my, my, my body's mind doesn't really buy it. Mm. So there is an aspect of, oh, my God, my body's feeling it. You know when the first time you, when you do LSD, how you start to spin? You can feel yourself getting high and you start to go. You can feel yourself starting to go, right? Starting to – your mind just warps. And it usually happens when you say, oh, I'm not high. Or it hasn't hit me yet, right? And that's when you notice and everything starts to change, right? Yeah. That's, that's what's true. happening. It's not just a mental, oh, I know God is real. I love Jesus. My body is actually beginning to feel it. It's actually starting to spiral. Yeah. And that's, that caused panic. And it's way better than it used to be. Infinitely better yeah. than it used to be. I'm getting used to it. I'm, I'm not – I'm still experiencing that, but I'm not – it doesn't scare me as much. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm a, there's an acceptance that's coming from it. It, all, yeah. it has made me more structured, right? It's a good thing. I believe it was a blessing. Because my, I think my body was saying, "Hey, listen, you can't, you can't keep smoking weed. You have to be in reality because reality is already weird enough. And if you can't recognize that reality is weird enough, we're going to make reality weird. I'm going to show you. You know, I'm going to show you how weird reality is. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I, hey. it's for different people, dude. I'm not talking about you. Okay, you can smoke weed. Nobody's judging you. Nobody cares. I no, no, no. And I, I don't weed. think it's great for me either. I just think like. Weed's not a sometimes I, I sometimes I see like a p- personality type, right? Where somebody is just this really like kind of aggro, teed up dude. Yeah, it's you not know? me. It's not me. Eh, it's kind of you, kind of you at the end of the day. You know, you might talk about spirituality yeah. and all this shit, but you're still just as ready to engage in combat as Absolutely. literally anybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Fucking yeah. a little aggro boy. No, I'm not you know? defensive. And sometimes yeah, I, guess would be a way to I think. You need to. Did you just say you're not defensive? Defenseless. Oh, defenseless. Okay. I thought you said you're not defensive. I was like, no, I'm very defensive about things. Yeah, you're a defensive little boy. Um, anyway. Oh, too. If I'm arguing with somebody, I realize there's no resolution, or neither of us. Okay, I have no problem walking away, and I hold no resentment towards. Yeah, fuck you, and. I'm just saying it's the truth, because I and and it's not. There's no way to talk about it without sounding like you're bragging, but I don't hold I don't hold ties to beliefs. I hold ties to silence and peace. And this is why when you and Jordan laughed at me when I when you said what's your dream, right? And I said sitting on top of a mountain with my hands expressed breathing, right? You guys both laughed because that's so silly. But that's what I hold on to. I try to hold on to that. And ideas are great. Talking is fine. I, even the the prophet even said is the talking's not evil. Even even a, a tongue that flaps while the person is asleep is that doesn't make them bad. Humans so might find that as bad. A little bit. Yeah. What's up? 
still strength it still has the capability of strengthening their their speech so and the fact that i get defensive about ideas does not make me a bad person and it doesn't mean that i've lost no 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 no, that's not what i'm saying i just think it's strange because i kind of have this idea that for those type of people generally weed is actually a good thing Dude, there's no such thing where they're just kind of like type of person every person is different we can, oh yeah we, no i know every person's different but there's still characteristics that define people and yeah, you can still pinpoint of some of them like some guys who are 18 19 20 are passive dismissive little bitches who bend the knee at everybody they conversate with are you talking and about a lot you? of them no, bro. I fucking. I'm ready to go, dude. I'm ready to charge. Hey, are, hey, kind are of you fucking dialogue you? you want to, dude? Because I think I'm a fucking rhino, bro. Hey, you're not a rhino. Hey, buddy. You're a rhino buddy. who the poachers took his horn. That's what you are. You're a fucking adolescent rhino that got his horn taken by some by some poachers and sold it for fucking ferret hide. Ferret hide. Anyways, damn. Anyways. You're really uh, educated, Andrew. <laughs> really educated guy. Anyways, in selling rhino horns. Listen, what I'm hide. saying is that, and Jordan Peterson talks about this. It's like you can use generalities in science, and it's useful. It's useful to get a base mark because there are there are generalities, right? Each human has general opinions, but if you if you actually look at the individual, there's an infinite number of characteristics that make up each individual. And while yes, oh yeah, yeah, you can group know, some I together. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's impossible. I just. Yeah, and we did I just not know work out. a lot of people are like, eh, I just I, I tried weed a couple times and it just made me paranoid. I didn't really yeah, like. That it. wasn't me. I smoked fine, and I even so I, I actually put on um, I know you'll love this. I put it on Reddit, um, uh, my story where I said, Hey, listen, I wonder if anybody has similar experiences, and I said, uh, you know, I smoked from eighteen to twenty three. You know, uh, started out slow, but it got up to where I was smoking like five blunts a day. Zero problems, never. And I never experienced anxiety or panic ever in my life. I just did not happen. And then one day, literally can tell you the day. You know what day it was, though? What day was it? Friday the 13th. It was. Oh, yeah. You remember the moon was out? The the moon was big? No, it wasn't. It wasn't this. That. Hold on. I want to look up. Friday the 13th. 2019. Um, oh, 2019. Yeah, it was last year. Oh, I was. Dang. All right. So here's this is what it was. Only not only is September 2019's fall harvest moon in Pisces, which I'm a fucking Pisces, dude. My the amount of Pisces in my astral astrological. Well, I'm gonna shut that down. Hey, you ready to be done right now? You ready to be done recording? Are you ready? Really? You, you're done. If you if you mention anything about fucking Pisces or any of that astrology, bullshit that's so riddled with riddled with logical it is. errors no, if you if you bullshit you're and it's bullshit it's it doesn't good. actually mean anything it i'm does. scorpio and he's a scorpio it's and a, we get along so great listen it's an ancient, i was born in february it's an ancient astrological personality test that's all uh, it is it's bullshit it's not dude. bullshit it, it is if you're a materialist reductionist atheist it is no no yes, it's it not is if yes, you you if can you, believe in spiritualities. You can believe yeah. in the spiritualities of life. Yeah. You can believe in and not believe you know, that uh, stars are a clock. That yes, story. yes, because you can, you can believe one of those things and not believe the other thing, Andrew. 
It literally, when Jesus was born, a star led to him. So, oh yeah, but that doesn't mean they're a fucking clock that's related to the month we're you born. Know, okay, then how did they know? Stars are very sentient the spiritual beings. I've had Jesus experiences where I see stars communicate with each other. Yeah, we should start like a podcast. You're not even listening, and you're frustrating me. How ignorant you are about this topic. I'm ignorant. You're so but ignorant. You don't know what you're terrible. talking about. You don't know. It's so funny how much you don't know. What educate you're about. me. I can't. You won't stop talking about how like crazy dumb. No, I'm trying to. I'm trying to say they knew about Jesus' birth three years before he was born. They literally took him three years to travel to him. They knew exactly where it was because they studied the stars. This is the story. The stars told them that Jesus was going to be born. The stars and all out throughout all of history have been the most focal point of human existence. Always, the planets and the stars, their position in the sky. Now, you can believe the modern reductionist atheist point of view in the 21st century that, oh, anything ancient humans thought were dumb because they didn't have science. You can think that. No, that's not what I okay, think. Okay, okay. So hold on. So you don't think that, right? So then you should probably listen to all of the history of humanity and just try to see if maybe they were talking about something that could at least be a little bit true. I'm not saying it's totally true. I'm not saying that, oh, if you are born in Pisces, you're going to be like this. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's like a clock, right? And there's there's an aspect that the stars do influence us because if we are energetic creatures, if we're energetic um, poles that receive and output vibrations, right? The stars and the planets and the moon and the sun are both gigantic focal points of energy, Right? And if we're constantly absorbing it, why do you think on a full moon, more people get crazy, right? You know that more rapes and murders happen on full moon. Okay. It's just the issue, what bro. Issue? The issue is like, believing it. The issue is believing something that the idea. Yeah. No, 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 no. The idea that depending on the month, not you're the month you're born, in, you, that you have some kind of characteristic you, trait automatically. How little you understand you. it. It has nothing to do with the month you're born in. Listen, do you understand that it has to do with how many things go into it? Okay, what it goes into it, that's that's the that's the uh, new age thirteen year old girl who doesn't like her mom's religion version of it. Oh, I'm I'm a Scorpio. The ancient okay. humans. Well, I don't have very much understanding. Humans, you have to know okay. the exact place you were born on this earth, the exact time you were born, the exact uh, month you were born, the year, and then what it does is it takes all of these stars and all of the planets. And it positions them to where they were exactly when you were born. And that is what your astrological chart is. Not the month you were born. Your, the month you were born is very irrelevant. It has more to do with the location and the time you were born. Because that right there is going to determine exactly how the stars were arranged. And the planets were arranged. And you know how um, Jordan Peterson talks about how planets represented gods and gods would possess people right there is an aspect there's a reason humans yeah. believe that and there might be some truth to the fact that the planets have some influence over the makeup of a human and how where those planets are how they're aligned and if they're all energetic if everything is just transmitting vibrations right and everything's like a big it's a big system of energy just moving between each other right when you're born the consciousness that enters through the basically just said i nothing. didn't say nothing unless you're intelligent the it when your consciousness moves through the void that is an existence that we can't comprehend right 
where the energy lies, the energy that is around you, the field of energy that is around you, which is made up of the energetic frequencies we have in our universe. And the strongest focal points of energy are the planets and the moon and the stars. They are gigantic focal points. They're like nodes of energy. When your consciousness enters into this existence, how the energy around you is manifesting is going to play a part into your consciousness. It is. Okay, when you say it, it shut up, faggot, because that pisses me off. You're so you. Hey, I gotta be able to admit when I'm wrong, bro, without you fucking having a little temper tantrum like a four year old, because you don't get to fucking smack the 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 fucking kid anymore. You wanted to smack him, and then your mommy told you not to. It bothered me how closed minded you are, but that's because you. I'm not entirely. But that's because you were looking at. Not at all. And I could totally see it playing into a lot of things. I just also, the idea that ancient humans could have like really good, I like that they could really predict that shit that well. It's a personality. I don't know. That's all it is. Maybe. It's an ancient personality chart. Here, we're going to do yours right now. Yeah. Can you you find out where you were born and when you were born? I was born at Westminster. Uh, fucking hospital. Right, what's your name? You have to know your Colorado. name because your name plays a part of it. Joel Rice. My, my name is e. Joel Rice. How hey, the fuck it does my dude. name play right, a fucking date. part in this? Okay, date. great. What day were you awesome. born? Totally different thing. Plays a part in it. I was born in uh, November 27, 2001. 27, 2001. I bet you you're, you're a fucking... All right. 2001. Wow, you're a fucking fresh one. All right, what time? I don't fucking guess. know what time. It's going to be off, but guess. Fucking, fucking Text your mom 11 p.m. Hang on. We'll see. She might That's not fine. get back to me for a while. But right, okay, so, technology, so. But understand, so when this shit happened to me, because my Pisces has a, my chart has a crazy amount of Pisces in it. A very absurd, rare amount of Pisces in it. Right. So and Pisces is the final cycle of the astrological chart. And this is also going to sound really uh, condescending, but Pisces is also the final evolution of consciousness. And because because what you have to look at is the astrological charts. Can you hear me? Great. Uh, Okay. yeah. The astrological chart is actually a almost a level of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you not like talking about that? You don't like learning new things, dude. You're so fucking funny. You're so funny. Oh my god. So so a lot of Pisces. So in September 2019, on on Friday the 13th was the day that my mind changed. And it was also a full moon. Um, okay. And what's significant about Friday the 13th? This moon, this moon was a harvest moon, and it opposed four planets, an Earth sign, Virgo. It opposed the Sun, Venus, Mars, and Mercury. With more than half the Earth charts in this sign, this is the most ideal period for work and health-related gains. The only problem is I'm primarily a water sign, which means that I was totally – and any Earth oh, sign grounds no. me, right? You have to understand this. Water represents consciousness, free-flowing consciousness. Listen to this. And so the fact that all of the Earth signs – were away from me and the moon was at its strongest and on my chart the moon is the biggest i it, it like uh 
it's like a uh, totem pole, right? The moon is a very influential thing to me. If you go by this astrology, I'm not saying it's real. I'm not. I just understand it, right? But I'm just saying it's weird that this happened. I didn't know that. I didn't know this was happening on Friday the 13th until five days later. I talked to my sister and told her what happened. She's like, dude, did you know about this? And I'm like, oh, my God, that's fucking kind of freaky. But the fact is, is that earth signs, since I'm a water sign, earth signs help ground me. So when earth signs are prevalent, I feel more grounded to reality. The fact that the moon was a very rare moon, it was a super full, it was a super harvest moon on harvest on Friday the 13th. Yeah. All right. And Friday the 13th is a known day in September. It is Friday the 13th. Yeah, because of the movie. The movie is based off reality. Friday the 13th throughout history has been known as a time when spirits go in because it's the time when. It's the time yeah. when the moon is in this place that spirits are capable of, of moving in between reality easier, lower spirits. The, the, I was born at 450. 50, the, line yeah. between, the line between reality during, during Friday the 13th, 4.50 p.m., you said? All right, and what location? Westminster. Westminster. Minster. Or it's either that or Westminster. Westminster. Nine pounds, six ounces. How heavy were you, buddy? I was probably bigger than that. No, you weren't. All right. Here, you're, so it goes on to, so you're, you're a seven masculine, three feminine, uh, five fixed, four mutable. So you're more, you're more fixed than you are mutable. You're three fire, one earth, four air, and two water aspects let's go down uh birth chart. the sun shit. the sun represents vitality it's like, it's like so sun, your son airbender only the so your son is in chat sagittarius restful cheerful and friendly sun and sagittarius people are generally on the go they have a love for freedom and a disdain for routine generally quite easygoing sagittarius makes friends with people from all walks of life they love to laugh and tease and get along with both sexes Although generally easygoing, Sagittarius is a fire sign. This gives uh, natives a generally quick temper. Fortunately, they usually forget yep. what they got angry about in the first place. Then they need to escape. The need for, the, for them to escape is really strong, and some solar, solar Sagittarians come across as a little irresponsible. They're generally easy to forgive. However, after all, their direct, honest approach to life is admirable. Your son is in the sixth house. The the work that you do and the service that you offer are very important to your sense of identity. In order to feel good about yourself, you need to be busy with daily activities and to produce work you can be proud of. Focus on. I haven't felt good about myself. Yeah, that, like yeah sure. Years. Focus on finding a suitable and rewarding avenue for expressing this part of you and being cheerful and being extra careful to choose an occupation in which you can express yourself. Um, because your ego and your mind are usually on the same page, you possess much mental energy. You are always in a position to think about what you want. And in many ways, this is an interruption of the will. You are highly intelligent with great drive to communicate with others. You invest a lot of pride in your intellectual capacities. You may not always listen well as you speak. However, you might be too busy to think about what to say next. But you are very curious. And although you enjoy expressing yourself, you usually don't dominate conversations completely. Um... Yeah, the moon. Whereas, what hold is on, your moon? Your moon is tyrannical, Marxist leader conversationally. Tyrannical Marxist leader conversationally. Hold on. Constantly. Where the planets are? Where the planets are? 
when you are born is what matters. It's not, oh, I'm a Sagittarius. That doesn't matter. What matters are where the planets are, the sun, the moon, Mars, Mercury, where they are in the astrological chart when you're born is what dictates. There's literally, I'm going, Holy like shit. I could send you this chart. Holy this this shit, is what it yeah. is. I wish I could send, you. send but it. But it's your planet aspect planet, your orb, uh, your orb angle and your value. This is the real astrological chart. Dude, shit. My orb angle. My orb angles. Familiarity is important to lunatarians. These people are earthly and strong-willed. They feel like their senses are, they feel with their senses and they're pretty much rooted in their ways. They reveal in material comforts. In fact, building a solid and comfortable home foundation helps keep them feeling safe and content. It isn't wise to try to push lunatarians to do anything. But once they have made their commitment, they're persevering. There's a steadiness to this position of the moon that is comforting to those close to them. But the conservative streak in these natives can be maddening to more progressive personalities. Dude, this we literally just had an argument about how I wanted you to open your mind and you didn't want to. They tend to go out of their way to avoid a messy or unpredictable situation. Instead, they focus on creating reliable and secure, no. uh, secure life around them. In relationships, lunars may not easily recognize their partner's need for change, growth, or emotional stimulation. Hmm. I wonder what your relationship used to be like. Uh... All right, so your Mercury is in Sagittarius, so you're you're a pretty big Sagittarius. Enthusiastic, humorous, and sometimes moralistic, he has strong opinions and will often be eager to share them. Democrat, philosopher, tolerant, respectful of laws, interested in foreign places and learning more languages. Believes that everything teaches you something. Um, your Venus is in Scorpio. Venus and Scorpio, people attract others with their intensity and willingness to commit. They have a strong and concentrated manner which suggests their feelings run deep. I want to see if Mars and Aquarius, it can be a little difficult to understand exactly what Mars and Aquarius natives tick. And that's absolutely fine with them. They enjoy surprising people. The tried and true methods of getting things done are far more boring to those with born with Mars and this unique and original sign. Mars and Aquarius natives often have a rather original view of the world as well. These natives are generally quite proud of their independence. They are not easily pushed around. Um, because Aquarius is progressive and open-minded when it comes to the world at large. It can be uh, surprising that on a personal level, Mars and Aquarius natives can be quite obstinate. If they feel boxed in, they are quite likely to rebel. If you've discovered a pattern in their ways, they'll make sure that they aren't so predictable next time around. Being seen as normal simply won't do. Uh, Your Jupiter is in Cancer. He attracts the most good fortune when he is sympathetic, charitable, and uses his powers to save and accumulate and comfort others. Real estate and food industry can be a uh, prosperous avenues. He values tradition and works towards security. Relies most on his gut instincts when it comes to pursuing goals and his business success. But it keeps going through all the planets. And there's a bunch of different types of personalities for each of those. And it's not that this is exactly who you were, because some of those contradicted each other. It's just a generalized personality test. And, yeah. there's, and where you're born. It's not this, oh, I'm an Aquarius. This is what I'm like. If somebody ever says that to you, they don't know what they're talking about. They're doing the 21st century new age bullshit and they don't understand. They just have an app that reads their horoscope and tells them you are going to have a good day. Today is a good day for love. It, it's, that's, yes. bullshit. that's bullshit. Yeah, but today is a good day for love, you know, Andrew. And I think that's what we should end the podcast on. Just keep in mind, everybody. Today is a good day for love.